you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right, I said it before, but if you weren't here, I'm going to say it again. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Uh, we love you so much. You guys do more than we could ever say. Um, so thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for who you are. And to my mom, happy Mother's Day, because I know that she'll probably watch this later as well. So um, with that say, said, if you're just now joining us, um, we uh, were in, I shouldn't say the middle, the second part of a series that we started a couple weeks ago. I wasn't here last week. I was sick. Uh, Ken, one of our elders in the church here, preached uh, last week. So this is the second installment in this series that we're in called Heart Transplant. And through this series, we're diving into the life of King David. King David is, um, honestly, he is one of my favorite guys to read about in the Bible. I love reading about him and talking about him. I'd say, besides Jesus Christ himself, King David and the Apostle Paul are probably my two favorite go-to guys. There's so much uh, meat, so much scripture that we can read about these guys. But I think the main thing that draws me and so many other people to these men is their heart and their passion for God and the fact that they're just so transparent especially talking about David, he is so transparent. This is a man who knew struggles. He knew pain. He, he knew heartache. And, and he made a lot of mistakes in life, some really big mistakes. But through it all, he's a man who was known as a man after God's own heart. And not because some random guy called him that. That was what God declared over his life. He called him a man after his own heart. And it begs the question, why? Why, even though we, we read about his life, when we read even through the Psalms that he struggled so much and, and that he made a lot of really big mistakes at times too, why was he a man after God's own heart? And the reason is because we look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. That's our big idea today. We look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. See, David isn't known as a man after God's own heart because he did all the right things he met everyone's expectations because he didn't, not even by a long shot. He's known as a man after God's own heart because he passionately and relentlessly chased after the heart of God. And guys, that's what matters to God more than anything else, is people who honestly, passionately chase after him, chase after his heart, just like King David did. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Help us to be people that would chase after you, that would chase after your heart. People that want to know you, that want to know your will for our lives, that, that want to be used by you. I pray that we never grow tired of, of getting to know you, of drawing closer to you, of drawing closer to your people, that we never move past your gospel and what you've done for us. I pray that you help us to be people that are consistently, continually broken by who you are and what you've done for us and who you call us to be, who you freed us to be. I pray if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, I pray for that miracle of salvation right here, right now. Holy Spirit, that you would break down those walls, those barriers in their life, and that you would help people, anybody in here that doesn't know you, to respond to that free gift of salvation, that free gift of grace that you extend to every single person. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just take over this service, that, that you would be in control of everything that happens today, and that Jesus' name is the only name that's glorified in this place. 
Make us and mold us. We love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the nation of Israel, along with the first king and the nation of Israel, Saul, how they did what so many of us tend to do today in the world today. They chased after their own hearts. And that's something, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's just kind of this mantra or this mindset that's really worked its way into our society. The society says, even in our kid programs, tells our kids to just follow your own heart. Just follow your heart. Do whatever you think is best, right? Whatever you think is best in the moment. That's what our society says. And that's what they did. The nation of Israel, along with their first king, King Saul. And as a result of chasing after their own heart, what it did is it led them away from God. Rather than chasing after God and and his direction, his course for their life, they went the other direction. And they chose to be made and molded into the image of the world rather than being lights to the world. So their thoughts, their actions, even the way that they look, It resembled the world rather than looking and resembling God and God's chosen people, which is who they were called to be. And as a result, check out what the prophet Samuel said to this first king in the nation of Israel, King Saul. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. He said, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. So in this text, God is just fed up with Saul. He's fed up with this. This guy has continued to just go his own direction. He's continued to chase after his own heart, right? And wants to be molded and patterned to the likeness of the world. We read that in the text last week where the nation of Israel actually said they wanted to be like the other nations. I mean, they didn't even hold it back. They were just very blunt about it. We want to be like the rest of the world. And that's how Saul is too. I mean, he's probably worse than, than most of them, the, most of the people in the nation of Israel. And he's leading them away even further down this road, mold, being made and molded more and more into the image of the world. And as you stand back and you look at the overall picture of Saul's life, this guy continues to get worse and worse and worse. And so God is fed up with this. And he's warning them through the prophet Samuel in this text. He's saying, look, your reign as king is over. That's it. I'm done with this. no. I'm going to find a new king. And he actually has already found one. A man after his own heart is what he says. And so uh, that's where we ended a couple of weeks ago. Today we're going to pick up three chapters later. All right, same book, 1 Samuel, but we're going to be in chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn or click 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start it with verse 1. All right, if you don't have the Bible, you can follow along with us up on the screen. Starting with verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, Take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. So pause right there in this text. There's a couple of things that that I want to make sure that we we get in this text, all right? Um, The first thing is the fact that the very beginning, Samuel is mourning over Saul. I mean, this guy is completely distraught. He's, he is depressed in this, in this pit. And, and it sounds like, from the text that we read, 
that this has been going on for a while. Because God questions him. And he says, Samuel, how long? How long are you going to mourn over Saul? Because what we have to understand is Samuel, he thought that Saul was it. He thought that, you know, this is the guy that God is going to use, you know, to, to bring the nation of Israel back to God. They all turned away from God. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. They wanted a king. They wanted to turn away from him. But now God has raised this guy up, Saul. He's the one that's going to save us. He's going to lead us back to God. But then as it stands, Saul's a, he's a disaster. This guy is a complete disaster as a king. And it's not because he failed or or he made mistakes, or he struggled, because even King David, the greatest king that ever lived uh, other than Jesus Christ himself, he failed. He made a lot of mistakes. That's not the reason he was a disaster. He was a disaster because, again, he was chasing after his own heart. He wanted to be molded and made into the patterns of the world rather than being molded and made into the pattern of God and being a godly leader, a godly king. And so Samuel is mourning over this. He is in a deep depression because he thinks in his mind, all hope is lost. He thinks, man, you know what? The nation of Israel has turned their backs on God. Even the king has turned his back on God. And God has now rejected him as king. All hope is lost. He can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever been there before? Struggle with that feeling, that depression? Feeling like you're at the bottom of a pit, this deep, dark pit that you can't get out of and it's hard to see the hope. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I think all of us have probably struggled with that in some way. And some of us, it can be chronic type of issues. I'll be transparent. That's one of the things that I can struggle with on and off. See, the two main things that I struggle with, anxiety and depression, on and off. And, and God gets me through it from the grace of God. He gets me through it. But that's one of the things, and I think there's probably other people that can struggle with this. Or maybe it's big events like the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or, or, or a situation or a struggle that you think is overwhelming and you're never going to move past it, right? And some of us might be struggling with that today. There might be someone or, or even several people that are really struggling with this, this depression and the feeling like they're at the bottom of this pit. There's no hope. There's no way out. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so listen, a couple of things I want to tell you. First off, know that you're not alone. You are not alone. I'm, I'm reminded a lot of times when I will struggle with this at times, at periods, and God will bring, it out, bring me out of it. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite preachers to, to read. Um, uh, I love his material. He's called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And he struggled very deeply with depression. At times, even so much so that he couldn't even hardly get out of bed even while he was preaching, but he's known as the Prince of Preachers. And so, listen to me, know that you are not alone, all right? But something else I want you to know, I got some good news for you. You ready for some good news? God is bigger than any situation, any struggle, any hardship that you will ever encounter in your life. He is bigger and he is more powerful than anything this world will ever throw at you. And when you belong to Jesus, listen to me, he will never leave you, he will never abandon you. He has a good uh, future. He has a hope for your life. And nothing this world throws at you, not even you, can separate yourself from his love. You can't do it. Which is why when we read this text, we see God coming down, meeting Samuel where he's at, in the middle of this muck, in the middle of this oppression, as he's mourning, he's continuing to mourn over this. And God says, how long are you going to mourn over this? 
and he picks him up, he encourages him, he picks him up out of that pit, and he says, listen, Samuel, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet, all right? Get up, let's go. I've got a mission for you. Keep on moving. I've got a hope and a future for you. If you think that this story is ending right now, listen to me, it's just beginning. This is just the beginning. I am not done with you yet. And listen to me, the same thing is true for every single one of us. No matter what you're struggling with in this life, as long as you have breath in your lungs, God is not finished with you yet. And your story, God's story that he's writing on your life has only just begun, just like it had for Samuel in this story. That's the first thing I want you to see in this text. And the, the second thing that I don't want us to miss is who it was that picked the next king that was going to be anointed. Who it was. Because think about that. What, was it Samuel that picked the next king that was going to be anointed? Or was it some other godly leader or group of godly people looking at resumes and trying to figure out the best person? No, it was God. It was God. God was the one who chose the next king that was going to be anointed. And by the way, that, that word anointed, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a moment. That word anointed, it means chosen. God is the one who chooses who he will use. Listen to me, all that we bring to the table, all that we do, just like with Samuel in this story, is trust and obey and leave everything else to God. Trust and obey and leave everything else to God. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to you know, ministry, when it comes to your calling and what God wants you to do, when it comes to the spiritual maturity process, what he wants to do in your life and other people's lives around you, trust and obey and leave everything else to God. This is his plan, not ours, not ours. And that's exactly what we see Samuel doing in this story. He trusts, he obeys, and he lives everything else up to God. And before we go on this text, something, a little side note here. Just to help us understand this, that word anointing, again, it means chosen. And so when a new king was anointed, right, chosen by God, they were referred to as the anointed one. It was kind of the title that they had, the anointed one. And how that translates from the Hebrew, we get the word Messiah from that. And from the Greek, Christos or Christ, that's what it meant. So they were the little Messiah or the, the little Christ while they were king. That's the label, the title that God gave them and the people knew them by. And so here's what we need to draw from that, all right? All the kings in the nation of Israel, Saul, David, all the other ones, listen to me, all of them pointed to the true and greater king, the true and greater Christ, who we know as Jesus Christ. And none of those kings, not Saul, not David, none of them, not even David, the man after God's own heart, who was the greatest king the nation of Israel ever had, besides Jesus Christ himself, None of them could save us. Not one of them. They were all failed saviors, failed kings in so many ways. The only one that can save us, the only one that has the power to save us is Jesus Christ. The real, true, greater king. The real, true, greater Christ. Let's keep on going in the story. This is verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me, or before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. 
Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Samuel said, then Jesse presented Shema. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Holy Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. So there's a lot, there's a lot that we can draw from this text. And, and for the sake of time, what I want us to do is really kind of narrow it down to three, three things that I think that God really wants us to see through this text. He doesn't want us to miss. I really believe that. And so the first thing that we see in this text that I really think that, that God wants us to see is, is the fact that God chooses to use people who are in tune with him and with his will. He chooses to use people who are in tune with him and with his will. I thought about using the word in sync, but I couldn't do it because every time I, I thought of that word in sync, I started thinking about the boy band. Um, even though it like perfectly describes this, I couldn't get the image out of my head. So we're not talking about in sync. Uh, we're talking about being in tune with him and with his will. Um, so in this text, again, Samuel is in this, this pit and this depression, continuing to mourn. How long will you mourn? That's what God says. And so as he's in this pit, again, God essentially reaches down. He meets him where he's at. He encourages him. He picks him up out of this pit, and he sends him on a mission. I'm not through with you yet. The story hasn't ended. Let's go, Samuel. Let's go. And so as he does this, he sends him on a mission. Samuel trusts him, and he obeys him, and he listens to his prompting, right? And what's amazing about this is the fact that Samuel has very, very little information about what he's actually doing. Do you notice that? Like he knows he's supposed to anoint the next king, right? Man after God's own heart. But, and he, and he kind of has a general location, like, yeah, go this way, general location. But apart from that, he doesn't have any information. He doesn't ex know exactly who it's going to be, right? What he looks like, how old he is, nothing, right? He doesn't know how he's supposed to do this, how he's supposed to make this happen. And here's something else that we can't miss. It, he doesn't know how he's going to be able to pull this off without the community really finding out exactly why he's there. The reason that's so important is because right now everybody is looking at King Saul as king. So if this community finds out why he's there, they know he's the prophet. Everybody knows the prophet Samuel. They find out they, the reason that he's there to anoint the next king and word erupts and gets back to Saul. Dude, that's his death sentence potentially. And he has no clue how to do this. And so it kind of begs the question, how did he pull this off? With hardly any information whatsoever, how in the world did he pull this off? And the short and simple answer is because he completely relied on God. He had complete reliance on God. He trusted God and he obeyed. And because he trusted and because he obeyed, he was in tune with God and he was in tune with God's will. And to help us kind of flesh this out and 
wrap our heads around this idea of being in tune with God and, and God's will for our life, I want you to imagine something with me. All right, I want, you to, I want you to imagine your favorite band, whoever that is, your favorite band, or if you can't think of your favorite one, think of one of your favorite ones. Um, and imagine a song that you like that they play, all right? Picture it in your head. If you have to close your eyes, that's fine. And picture seeing them up on a stage or wherever, playing the instruments. You can actually hear it. You can see it. You, you've got the guitars, the bass, the drum, the keyboard, all of these different instruments and all of these people coming together and playing at the same time. And you're seeing and you're hearing every pluck, every stroke of the guitar and the bass, uh, every, every uh, 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 poke of the keyboard, every tap of the drum. You're hearing all of this meshing together for one unified sound in harmony. So much so that even when they make a mistake or somebody misses a note, which happens a lot more than we probably know, nobody even really knows. Maybe the people that are playing, but not not the other people around them. Nobody even knows because they are in perfect harmony with each other. Guys, that's how life is when we are honestly in tune with God and with his will for our lives in this perfect harmony because there's trust and there's obedience, reliance on him, and then through that, he guides our every step and he leads us, he guides us into perfect harmony and alliance with his will. And that's when we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, even through the unknown. Even when we don't even know exactly what to do, exactly what to say, when we feel unqualified to do it. God, like, how do, you, how, how do I do this process, this thing, like making other mis- disciples? How, I, how am I supposed to do this thing over here? I feel like you're calling me uh, to. How am I supposed to get through this? That's how we do that, just like Samuel did in this story, when we are in tune with him and with his will for our lives. The second thing that I I don't want us to miss through this text is the fact that God looks at our heart, not at the outward appearance. God looks at our heart, not at the outward appearance. Check out verse seven again in this text. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the heart. Guys, this is something that we need to remind ourselves of every single day. Every day. I need to remind myself of this every day. Because we are so quick to judge people and look at people by their outward appearances, by the external things that we see going on around them. The way that they look, the way that they act, the way that they talk, their socioeconomic statics, and the, the list goes on and on and on. And we get so bogged down by these things. Like those things take up so much of our time and they distract us from what God actually wants us doing, the mission that he wants us doing, the ministry that he wants us doing. Because we spend so much time bogged down by all of these things, the outward appearances, the external things that are going on. When hear me, what we need to understand is God doesn't even care about those things, really. That's not even what God cares about. What he cares about more than anything else is the heart of a person. He cares about your heart. I mean, he wants your heart because that is where your deepest desires are. That's where our deepest desires are more than anything else. God is looking for people who are honestly looking for him, who are honestly chasing after him, who want to know him and his will for their life, and who want to be used by him. That's who God is looking for. 
And so it generates this question, are, are you honestly chasing after God? And ask yourself that. And be honest with yourself. Are you honestly chasing after God? Are you honestly wanting to know him? Are you wanting to know his will for your life? Are you wanting to be used by him? If you've ever given your life and your heart to Jesus, are you willing to surrender your life and your heart over to Jesus even right now? Right here, right now, the word tells us that he stands at the door and he knocks. And this is available to every single one of us. Are you willing to surrender your life and your heart over to him? And if your answer is, man, I've already done that. I've prayed that prayer. I've walked down the aisle. I've done that before. Then the question is, do you see the evidence of that in your life? Do you see the evidence? The word calls it fruit. And, and there's no way around it. The word tells us that the fruit will be evident. It's not going to be overnight, and there's no perfection. It's just trust and obedience. But it says that there, there will be evidence. There will be fruit in your life. And it's not just going to be evident to you. It's going to be evident to the people around you, and it's going to be contagious, just like it was for King David. So do you see that evidence? Do you see that fruit in your life? Does your heart, does your life honestly belong to Jesus? Ask yourself that and be honest. The last thing that I, I want to hit on that we see in this text is this. The fact that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. You know, something that's so amazing about this story is the fact that when the prophet Samuel shows up, he's there with Jesse and his family, and he's there to anoint the next king. David wasn't even there. Did you catch that? David wasn't even there. And, and as Samuel is there, and he's going through the line, and he's looking at all these, these sons of Jesse, not one of them bothers to mention the fact that David even exists. Samuel had no clue. He would have never even known that David existed if he hadn't been in tune with God and with his will. If he hadn't honestly been, been listening to God's prompting in this. Samuel's the one that had to ask Jesse, dude, do you not have any other sons? It's none of these guys. God has told me to come to you. There's somebody in your family. Do you not have any other sons? Not one of them spoke up. And notice in this text, whenever Samuel asks that, Jesse says, yeah, I've got another son. He's my youngest, but, but he's out tending the sheep. And it begs the question, why? Why wasn't David there? Why did nobody speak up? Why wasn't Jesse like, you know, yeah, absolutely, I've got another son. You know, let me go get him for you. Let me send one of my other boys to you. Why did none of his other brothers speak up? And the answer is because none of them thought that he was qualified to be there. None of them thought he was qualified to be there. In their minds, David was just a kid. David didn't meet the qualifications to be there. He didn't look the part like all of his other brothers did. He didn't have the experience or the, the resume like all of his other brothers did. He wasn't qualified to be there. So in their minds, why in the world would Samuel want to meet David? Why would he want to meet David? See, these guys struggle with a couple of things that we still struggle with today. One of them we already hit on. The fact that they looked at the outward appearance of people, the externals, rather than looking at the heart, which is what God looks at. But the other thing that they struggled with, that we still struggle with today, 
is that they were looking for certain man-made qualifications, man-made expectations in other people that they thought that other people should meet. And we still struggle with this today, every single one of us. We struggle with this. I'm talking about extra biblical qualifications that we don't see in the Word of God. And we, we put these expectations, these qualifications on other people, like how they should look, how they should act, you know, how they should dress, how they should do certain things. And we start putting these things up on a pedestal over and above the will of God. And when we do, this is such a dangerous place to, to be because when we do, what we're doing is we are shaping and molding our own little kingdoms rather than surrendering to the fact that this isn't about our kingdom. This is his kingdom. Our job is to simply trust and obey and leave the rest to God. Trust and obey and leave the rest to God. In fact, when you read the Bible and you go and you look at every single person that God has ever called and how he's called them, Every single time, he calls some of the most unlikely people and some of the most unlikely ways to do some of the most unlikely, extraordinary things, just like he did with David. This kid that everybody counted out, they didn't even think he was qualified to be there. But they didn't know that he was going to grow up to be the greatest king that the nation of Israel had ever seen, other than Jesus Christ himself. But here's the thing, it requires something from us though it requires something from us it requires a willingness to honestly step out of our comfort zones and step out of these man-made expectations and the things usually we're the worst at putting these expectations on ourselves and like you know what I'm not going to be good enough until I can't do this until this I've got to do it this way I got to do it that way I don't fit this mold and all these things that we tell ourselves and all these lies that we hear from the world no wonder we're so stagnant in our ministry because we're so distracted by all these external things and we are losing sight of the focus and the mission. And so it takes a willingness to step outside of this season and say, God, listen, I am here. Use me as I am. Use me as I am. Show me what it is that you want me to do. What are your qualifications? What are your expectations? What is it that you want me to do? Use me. Here I am. Use me as I am. And David gives us this beautiful picture of this in this text. Because even though everybody counted him as out, nobody even thought that he was qualified to be there. When Samuel goes up to King David, notice David doesn't question it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't hide behind excuses or hide behind fears or hide behind man-made expectations when literally everyone counted him as out. Even the prophet Samuel was about to anoint his brother. Everyone counted him as out. He said, here I am, God. Use me as I am. He trusted. He obeyed. And he left everything else to God. So as we end today, I want to encourage the, the worship team to come on up. As we end today, I want to I leave you with a question. And I want you to think about this. Are there... Are there things in your life or even people in your life that are holding you back from God's will for your life? And maybe you're here today and you've been wrestling with the thought of salvation. Maybe you've been thinking 
I'm not good enough. I don't meet the qualifications. I struggle too much. I can't do this. And, and you're telling yourself these things, you're believing these lies or even other things that other people are telling you and you don't meet these certain expectations that you think that you need to meet. Listen to me, if that is you today, the incredible news is it's not about you meeting certain qualifications. It's not about you being good enough. You can't be good enough. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus Christ is good enough for us. He is good enough in our place. It's about surrendering to his completed work on the cross in our place. That's what this is about. So if you're here today and you've been struggling with that, and these things have been holding you back, listen to me. Please don't let those things hold you back anymore. Today is the day to step out and to surrender to this free gift of grace. Grace is his unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. Don't let this hold you back anymore. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I, I'm saved, I've surrendered my life to Christ, but there's some other areas in my life that I've called, I felt God calling me, uh, things he's calling me to do, ways he's calling me to step out, but I don't think that I'm ready. I think I'm struggling. I don't know the word enough. I, I, you know, I think I'm maybe not mature enough in my walk with Christ. There are all these different things that we tell ourselves and the world tells ourselves. And maybe today's the day that you step out and say, no, that's enough. I'm done listening to the world. I'm done listening to these lies that I tell myself, God, I want to listen to you. What are your expectations for my life? What is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Maybe day, today's the day that you step out and you just surrender your life to him and say, God, here I am. Use me as I am. And show me what that looks like. So as we stand, I'm going to encourage you guys to go ahead and stand. We're going to sing one last song together. And, and as we always do, we end with a time of invitation. This isn't the only time that you can respond. It's not like you have to wait till Sunday mornings to respond for salvation, respond to God. But there is something pretty amazing about this. Because you get to actually do it with the people of God, the family of God surrounding you. You get to get prayed over. And so I want to encourage you, step out, don't wait. I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. If you've got questions, the altar is open. If you've got any other prayer requests... Don't wait. Don't wait. You respond to whatever he's putting on your heart. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. 
Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you've stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.